Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series on the book of Hebrews, with this message entitled, Worship of the Saints. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Hebrews 10. Now here is our Bible teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, creator of the ends of the earth, preserver of all creation, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the sender of the mighty Holy Spirit upon the church, we beseech you this morning that you come mightily in this church. And we pray that you save those who are outside of this great salvation. You are a mighty God who is able to take away the stony heart and give a heart of flesh, a heart that will respond to your command. Bring people to this everlasting joy of your salvation. Heal people, O God, spiritually, physically, psychologically. Let there be great deliverance. May your saints rejoice in the joy of the Lord. O God, open our eyes that we may see wondrous things out of your holy word. That we may see you and love you and live to honor you all the days of our lives. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let us open our scriptures to... Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. The worship of the saints. Not that we worship saints. It's a trick title. To wake you up. So that you will think clearly. No, we don't worship saints. The title speaks of the saints' worship of God. And if I asked Professor Spencer, he would say it is a subjective genitive, not objective genitive. If you worship saints, it will be objective genitive. We are speaking about saints' worship of God. We are saints. God made us perfect, we were told in the previous portion of Scripture, and we are holy in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, what kept us from God, our sin problem, has been solved forever. We read, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Yet it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. So the mosaic system failed. It was symbolic of the new covenant which Christ established by the shedding of his own blood for our sins on the cross. So he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The wages of sin is death. We were to die, but Christ died for our sins. Christ died our death. So those who trust in Jesus Christ, God's Son, they are saints. They and they alone are invited to worship and serve God in this text. So take a look at verse 19. The first word is therefore that gives you the logic the reason that is since Christ has perfected us cleansed us sanctified us washed us washed us clean positionally once for all all our sins have been taken away forever remember Israelites in the wilderness had to worship God from a distance. God was holy. They were sinners. 
So they were kept way out there, outside. And when they came to Israel, they were kept outside. Only on the day of atonement, for a few seconds, and only the high priest with blood of animals was permitted to go to the Holy of Holies through the curtain to the very presence of God. But since the perfect sacrifice of the great priest, Jesus Christ, since that took place, all believers in the person and work of Christ can go into God's presence directly. We were once far, driven away from the presence of God. And in Jesus Christ, now we are brought near to God, nearer we cannot be. Let's praise the Lord. Because you are saints, you are brought near. So when you study this text, there are two points. One, reasons for us to draw near. There are two reasons. Second, exhortation. What we are to do on the basis of these reasons, three things. Draw near, hold fast, and consider. And we will talk about it. What are the reasons, the indicatives? What has God done for us on the basis of which we can now draw near and worship God? First, we read, since we have confidence... Confidence, parousia, boldness. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? And you are brothers, you are holy brothers, you are beloved of God, you are perfect, you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. Your sins have been blotted out. You've been set free forever. You are blessed forever. And you are children of God. So you have confidence. Boldness. Beyond that you have the God-given objective right. This confidence is not merely subjective. But confidence based on the objective right conferred upon you. You are to come and worship God. Children of the U.S. president have confidence to come to the Oval Office. So as God's children, we have rights. We have confidence to come to the throne room of God. So St. Paul says in Ephesians 2.18, For through Jesus Christ, both Jews and Gentiles have access to the Father by one Holy Spirit. Take a look at the text again. What is the ground of our confidence? By the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus opened the way to the Father. As I said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But his blood has been shed. Father's will was done. We are saved from our sins. Now Paul says in Ephesians 3.12, Now in him and through faith in him, we may approach God the Father with freedom and confidence. Jesus Christ inaugurated for our benefit entry into God's presence. That is into the Holy of Holies, not on earth but in heaven. It is called the way of his flesh. The way of his incarnation is a new way. That is, it did not exist before. This way was inaugurated when Christ died on the cross. And we are told at that point... When Christ died on the cross, the veil that separated God from people was torn apart forever. It was then the new way was opened up. 
no more restrictions, no more war barriers, no more veils. Now all believers are welcome to the Father's presence in the Holy of Holies of the heavenly sanctuary. And we are told it is also a living way. What is the way? The way of the cross is the way that leads to eternal life. It is the living way because Jesus Christ who died now lives an indestructible life. Chapter 7 verse 16. Jesus lives forever. Chapter 7 verse 24. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. And this Jesus Christ who lives is coming again for our glorification and for the utter defeat of every enemy that will not bow his knee to Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord. This Jesus told us I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. It was Jesus who said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. In the Mosaic system, this way into the Holy of Holies was not opened up. Chapter 9, verse 8. But it has been opened up since the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the new way, this is the living way, yea, this is the only way to come to the Father and be saved. Reason number two, take a look at it, since we have a high priest over the house of God. We have a great high priest. Who is this? He is God. He is the Son of God. He is sinless Jesus. He is God man who offered himself to God in our behalf. He is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is greater than Moses. Greater than Aaron. Greater than the temple. Greater than Solomon. And we are told he is over the house of God, that is, he is the head of the church. Turn with me to chapter 3 of Hebrews, and verse 6. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. He is the head of the church. He is over the house of God, and we are God's house. Turn to First Peter chapter 2. And beginning with verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And we are the temple and we are the priests. And over this house is our head, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the great High Priest, Jesus Christ, God's Son. Or turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And let me read to you from verse 19. We are God's house. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are the house. We are the church. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Over the house. We are the body. He is the head. Jesus Christ is our Lord. 
and we are his obedient subjects. He is the high priest, we are priests. He is the king of kings, we are kings. He is the son of God and we are adopted sons of God. As the head of the church, he is with us when we gather together in his name. If two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am, in the midst. It's the one over the house of God. He is with us always, even unto the end of the ages. As head, he directs us, protects us, provides for us. As head of his house, the church, he intercedes for us. He arrived in heaven in our behalf. We are told he is our forerunner. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. And let me read to you verse 19 and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered notice on our behalf to help us, to intercede for us, to bless us. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He is our forerunner. He made the way so that we can follow him. He is in God's presence for our benefits. And he escorts us to God. So we can come boldly to the throne of grace. These are two reasons. Boldness and Christ being the head of the church as high priest. So there are three exhortations. In view of these two reasons, we are exhorted to do the following things. First, it says, let us draw near. Notice it is in the present tense. Let us draw near. It's an exhortation. Draw near to God, not to dying men who cannot help us. They will promise, but in time they will not help you. Not to dying men, but one who lives forever an indestructible life, the head of the church. Draw near to God. And not once a year, as the Aaronic high priest did. But in present tense, continuously, sir, frequently come to God in worship, daily come to God. Pray always, come to God in prayer, come to God in reading the word, come to God in singing, come to God in faith, come to God in repentance, come to God in confession, come to God in thanksgiving, come to God privately, come to God in public worship, come to God when you drive, come to God when you cook, come to God when you fellowship. The door is open, it is never closed. Hallelujah. Come to God and rejoice. Come to God in the heavenly sanctuary by faith where Christ is. Come to God and worship him in spirit and in truth. You may ask, but who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Turn with me to Psalm 24. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall ascend to the throne of God? Psalm 24, beginning with verse 3, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place? And the answer is given. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, he who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Only clean people. Only pure in heart should ascend to the hill of the Lord. But that's our problem. What is our poor problem? Filth, dirt, sin, evil conscience. But thank God, Christ the Holy One ascended as Holy One. After his life and death and resurrection and in him, and all those who trust in him also ascend with him to the very presence of God. Turn to John's Gospel, chapter 3, and verse 13. 
No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus came down and he did the will of God and he shed the blood for the forgiveness of our sins and we are united with him by faith. He went into the presence of God. He ascended to the holy hill of the Lord. He stands there. He is seated there. And in him, hallelujah, we ascended. And we are seated with him in heavenly places, sir. We are not stranded out there somewhere to fend for ourselves. We are united with him, the mother of all doctrines, sir. There is no separation from him, nothing in all creation. He is able to separate us from the love of God. Jesus Christ who came from heaven has ascended to heaven. In him all believers now ascend to the presence of God. We died in him. We were buried with him. We were raised with him. We ascended with him. And we are seated with him. He is holy. In him we have been made holy. Turn to chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. Verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need, in time of our temptation, in time of our persecution, in time of our martyrdom. In time of our work, in time of our warfare, in time of our conflict. Hallelujah. In need mercy, in need grace, come. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You will see him. No more veil, no more smoke, no more anything. Come. So we draw near and we see God now by faith. And then at his coming we shall see him face to face. Don't be afraid to draw near. You shall not die. The wrath against us has been absorbed fully. By our glorious substitute, Jesus Christ. So draw near with confidence. There is Therefore, now no condemnation to those who are believers in Jesus. Come to Jesus and come through Jesus to the Father. And this is exactly what is happening to us. Turn to chapter 12 and verse 22. The same word is used. You have come to Mount Zion. To the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. That's what's happening right now, brothers and sisters. We have come to God. Come through Jesus, and we come by faith. Not only Jews, but Gentiles also. Whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting but it says draw near with a true heart. Don't draw near us, Nadab and who did, they will be consumed by a holy God. True heart, sir. Come with an undivided heart. A double-minded person is unstable in all his ways. Do not serve God and money. Serve God only. Don't be a hypocrite. Come with a true heart, an honest heart. Come without any doubt. Don't be like Achan, Ananias, and Sapphira. Don't be like Judas and Demas or Simon Magan. Come with a true heart. Turn with me to Psalm 51 and verse 6 and listen to what David is saying. And he says, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. And 
Elijah says, how long will you halt between two opinions? If Baal is God, serve him with all your heart. And if Jehovah is God, serve him. How many of you are double-minded? You cannot approach him. Approach him with a true heart. And then we are told, come in the fullness of faith. Those who come to God must believe God exists and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God cannot lie, sir, and God cannot die. God fulfills what he promises. And the truth is all his promises are fulfilled when God the Father sent his son to die on the cross. His promises are to be trusted because they are God's promises. But beyond that, we are told that he has also given an oath in addition to his promises. He has given an oath. Let's turn to chapter 6, beginning with verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Come to God with a true heart. Come to God with fullness of faith. Sir, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. This means read the word daily, hear God's word preached, listen to the testimonies of God's people about God's faithfulness to them. The other day I, pr I prayed one time for a, an issue. And I was told what I prayed did not happen. But it was not true. The individual who was opposed to answering my prayer, God worked in that person's heart and that person became the advocate for my cause and God answered prayer sir. God answered prayer Saint James the brother of Jesus says draw near to God and he will draw near to you but draw, draw near with true heart draw near in full faith Turn to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 11. By faith Abraham even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren. Was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful. And who had made the promise. And go home and read Romans 4 17 through 21. In addition to Hebrews 11 and verse 11. And then we are told draw near with heart sprinkled. To cleanse from an evil conscience. The Mosaic system did not provide worshippers with a clean conscience, we are told. The new covenant inaugurated by Jesus does cleanse our conscience. Turn to chapter 9 and verse 9. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. And verse 14, or 13 and 14, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heaven sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are what? Outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? Christ's blood gives us a clean conscience those who trust in his person and his work no more the torment of sin and its guilt no more fear it's all gone blotted out set free to serve God to draw near to God to worship God to sing his praise to pray to God hallelujah turn to first Peter 1 and verse 2 who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. 
Oh, not the blood of bulls and goats sprinkled on us. It is the blood of Jesus Christ sprinkled upon our conscience. We are cleansed. Hallelujah. If you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus justifies us. The blood of Jesus sanctifies us. So we draw near to God. And finally it says body washed with pure water. And I don't have time. But it is speaking. It may be speaking about the water baptism. Water baptism. Turn to Ezekiel 36 and 25. And this speaks about clean water there. And here we read. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Or the book of Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. And it says, And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on his name. Yeah, those who are drawing near are those who have been cleansed inside and baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, indicating that the work has been done within. So we draw near with a clean conscience. Come to God confessing Christ and confessing sins. Come to God in true heart, in fullness of faith. Come to God having repented. And forsaken of your sins, come to God with the conscience cleansed by the blood of Christ. Come to God as baptized believers in Jesus Christ. Come to God. That you may rejoice in God's presence. That you may receive help from God to live a victorious Christian life. That you may defeat that temptation. That you may resist the devil and he shall flee from you. Our Father waits for you. Our High Priest Jesus is waiting for us. The saints of God are clean people. Clean people draw near to God to worship. And the second exhortation. Let us hold fast to the confession of hope without swerving. Hope is a child of faith, Calvin said, and is nourished by faith. And the objective content of hope is our eternal salvation. So we are told in view of the two reasons I said. Keep on holding on to faith and hope. Persevere in faith and hope. Do not throw away the gospel for the sake of cup of soup. Do not go after Baal forsaking Jesus. Hold on to Christ especially, especially, sir, in the midst of your temptations and troubles and trials and persecutions and difficulties. Be a martyr for faith if needs be. Deny yourselves, Jesus said. Take up the cross and follow me. Hold on. Hold on to that faith. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read to you of some people who held on. Chapter 11, verse 35. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And keep on reading. And read Second Corinthians where St. Paul was put to such trials and persecutions. And yet he fought the fight. He kept the faith. He ran the race. And he died in faith. Hold on in your sickness, in persecution, in poverty, and in the face of torture and death. What can death do? Christ has conquered death by his death, sir. In Christ, death has become our servant. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Jesus has given us eternal life. We shall never perish. 
can death or anything else in all creation snatch us out of the hands of God. So turn to chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews and let me read verse 6. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house and we are his house. Notice, if he hold on to our courage and hope of which we boast. Hold on, sir. Hold on. And verse 14 of chapter 3. And we read here, we have come to share in Christ. That is, we are Christians. We are saved. Notice the condition. If we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. And I have seen in the church, oh, we see people are happy and they are testifying. They are doing everything. They are full of activities. But in due time, they fall away. They are false professors. Turn to chapter 6 and verse 11. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure to the very end. Be faithful, brothers and sisters, till death. Be hopeful till death. And we are told our hope is a living hope, First Peter 1, 3. A hope that never fails, a hope that never makes us ashamed. A hope in Jesus who ever lives and raises the dead. And he never tells you, I changed my mind. I have no respect for people who marry and divorce. I have no respect because God hates divorce, so I hate divorce. But the wonderful truth is God never divorces his people. And then we are told, confess this hope Hold on to the confession of hope. Confess this hope in the church. And especially outside the church. That all God's elect will hear and be saved. And you read recently Luke chapter 12. And let me read to you from Luke 12 beginning with verse 8. I tell you whoever acknowledges me before men. The son of man will acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. Confession, sir, of this faith, of this hope in the church and particularly outside of the church. Hold on to this hope. Confess this hope in the world. Do not turn to the right or to the left of this hope and this faith, this gospel, this Christ. Let the pilgrim steadily move. On to the heavenly city, resisting all temptations for distraction and deflection from a hopeless, miserable world. Why should we hold fast to our confession of hope? What's the reason? Oh, there is reason here, and it is the one who promised us eternal salvation is trustworthy, is faithful. Satan is a liar. But our Savior is truth and so keeps his promises. He cannot lie. He cannot die. He cannot change. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. Others may forsake us readily. But God said in this book, never, 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 never will I leave you. Never, 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 never will I forsake you. Brothers and sisters, God is with us. Christ is with us. His Holy Spirit is in us, with us, upon us. We are not alone. We are in God. God is in us. So keep on keeping on. Hold fast to our confession of hope, unswervingly. He's coming soon. And the third exhortation. And it is this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The Holy Spirit led me to come to the office, and I never looked at this thing. See? What do you think this is? See? You have to fix it up. <laughs> what is this? A spur. Now, he didn't do a good job, but it is uh, Dr. Swickard brought this, two of them. And I didn't know what it was, but I today looked at it and here it is written and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds spur sir 
spur. It is a little painful. Spur, stir, stimulate, provoke, goad. So the horse will do what you want the horse to do. And so the third one is let us continuously consider, think, count ways, study, use our minds to spur, stimulate, provoke, goad, inspire, incentivize one another toward to love and good deeds. Christianity demands thinking. Not a monkey feeling. It is thinking primarily. And look at chapter 3 verse 1. The same word is used. Consider here in chapter 3. Therefore holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling. Consider Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. We are to focus our attention. Our mind on Jesus. In this verse, we ought to study the word to know Jesus, that we may love Jesus, trust in Jesus, that we know his person and his work in behalf of us, that we may know he alone is the son of God, that he became incarnate, that he is sinless, yet died for our sins, that he rose again, he entered the heavenly sanctuary, he is the king of kings and he is the high priest, he is seated at the right hand of God's majesty and every enemy of his being made subject to him, he is coming again as our savior and the judge of all his enemies. That is the first our mental effort should be used to know Jesus. But brothers... Here in verse 24, he who thinks and pay attention to Jesus cannot neglect his church. Therefore, in verse 24, we are told, and let us consider, think. Those who thus consider Jesus, look to Jesus, will also consider the people of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there is no solo Christianity. Christians are brothers and sisters. They are children of God. They are a family. Therefore, they look after one another. They live for one another and die for one another. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. And uh, verse 16 and 17. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions. And sees his brother in need. But has no pity on him. How can the love of God be in him? And you read Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. How the church came together and loved one another. And sold real estate and brought money and placed it at the apostles' feet that the people of God can be taken care of. So as family of God, as brothers and sisters, we love God. Therefore, necessarily we love one another. When you love one another, you want to be together, sir. Nothing will keep lovers apart. They think up ways to solve problems so that they can be together. They drive hundreds of miles to be together with God's people who love God. They come from Modesto, Turlock, Pleasanton, San Francisco, Sacramento, from far places. Love knows no obstacle. And this is an oasis in this region, sir, and people come from far and they come together to worship God and to fellowship with the people of God. They know each other's need and take care of them. When one member suffers, all suffer. When one rejoices, all rejoice. We are such a church, sir. We consider one another. We think up ways to spur one another to love resulting in good deeds. And our church is a place where love rules. Love is evident everywhere. Our love translates into deeds to help God's people. We spend our time, our talent, our money to help us, help especially the household of God. Jesus said, study the ravens and learn something. Study the lilies of the field and learn something. Study the ants and learn something. Study creation and learn something. So also, we are to study the church, the people of God. We get together to know them, to know their needs, spiritual, economic, physical, marital, and familial. 
and so on. And we help them. We rebuke them, we correct them, teach them, instruct them, we spur them on. And we give them pain when pain is needed. And it, it may be that you can call me, uh, he is the spur of the church. <laughs> spur. And anyone who is in authority will be seen as spur. I hope you will see more than that. The purpose of spur is to provoke and stimulate you to love God. That we together can enter into the presence of God. And yet, there are those who forsake the assembling together of the saints. Because of trials, maybe because of persecution, maybe because of arrogance. What has that man to tell me? Or because you are a false Christian. We are told, Matthew 24 verse 12, love of many shall grow cold. And 1 John chapter 2 verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. You see, false brothers. But true people of God shall not forsake, abandon the assembling of the saints. He who loves God will love God's people, necessarily. He who loves God will love God's people. The people of God are not like the Dead Sea. People of God are channels of blessings. Out of their innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, helping others. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Let me read to you because this theme came before. Beginning with verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So what's the solution? But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 3 and learn this. And we preached on it when we preached through the book of Ephesians. And take a look at this, solo Christians, if you are. And to know this love, uh, verse 18, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This love book consists of people. Each one is a page. And you cannot understand the love of God without belonging to God's church. We cannot know the love of God apart from God's saints. We are responsible for one another. We are accountable to one another. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit yourselves to one another. We get together to encourage one another, to build one another up through our ministry. I read the other day about an advertising in England, I believe, that you are down, you are unhappy. Comfort yourselves by shopping. <laughs> we know who lost jobs. We know who is sick. We know who is wandering from God's way we help them we get together to build up to encourage, to rebuke, to correct to refresh Second Timothy it was a very important passage I appreciated this passage about Onesiphorus Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 16 may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains on the contrary when he was in Rome he searched hard for me until he found me may the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day you know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus that's what church is we get together in large groups, we get together in small groups, we get together in, on a one-on-one -on -one basis to help one another. That we may together draw near to God. That we may together hold on to the confession of hope without swerving. We get together to encourage one another. To love and good deeds. We, brothers and sisters, follow Jesus Christ who came not to be ministered unto but to minister and give his life as a ransom for many. So also we live to serve Christ by serving Christ's holy people. We should get together more frequently, not less, because the text says the day is fast approaching. The day when we shall meet with God face to face. 
either in our death or in his second coming. So brothers and sisters, we are told to consider, to study how to spur one another to love and good deeds, how to encourage one another to persevere in faith, hope and love. Shall we rise? Let me ask you a question. I know there are people here who are not yet partakers of Christ outside the sphere of salvation, the kingdom of God. And I have preached the word. And you may ask, what must I do to be saved? And the simple answer is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Your sin problem will be dealt with and as saint, you can worship God. Have you understood the gospel, sir? Have you trusted in the blood of Jesus to deal with your sins? Sinners cannot draw near to God. They are God's enemies whom God will completely defeat. But if you trust in Jesus, he will cleanse you from the guilt, from the pollution, and from the power, hallelujah, of sin, of all your sins. And he will qualify you to come to God and worship him. Saints shall worship God. Are you a saint? And then let us draw near with confidence. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the gospel, for this epistle that gives us this exhortation. Help us, O Lord, to exercise our mind that we may put our trust in Christ and be saved. And may God's saints praise you and worship you and help one another to draw near to you, to hold on to our faith, and to encourage one another to love and good deeds. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this glorious salvation in Jesus Christ. Bless your people, save your people, heal your people. Let every single person who is here be blessed by you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Grace and Glory Audio of the sermon, Worship of the Saints. Come back soon for more transforming teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthews.